Hello, and welcome to Get a Clue, my podcast. My name is Caroline. I'm a change management expert, and this is my very first podcast session. And today is the 3rd of January, 2024. So happy new year to everybody. This morning, while I was working on a list of M&A firms that I would like to reach out to for business development purposes, all of a sudden that thought came to me about venture capital and startups. And then I reflected a bit more and considered to what extent startups have an issue when they scale, especially startups that receive a lot of venture capital as part of their Series A and Series B. B, fundraising activity are under immense pressure. And when I talk about startups, what I really mean is their leaders, right? So the founders, basically, if they're still around, they receive a lot of pressure to scale fast, to pivot, to add product features, to always be on the run, to listen to their customers and to grow, grow, grow. And what happens quite often when these startup leaders are under immense pressure to grow is that the culture suffers. So my experience with startup culture, and particularly in Germany, is that some of it is very much focused on performance, and some of it might be quite toxic. So I remember some of the the statements that I heard from startup founders when I interviewed with them back in 2017 and 2018. And it just didn't sound very appealing to me, and that's why I never moved forward with them. So one of them said, no pain, no gain. I was just thinking to myself, what does that mean? Why do I have to suffer? By then, I had already worked for various corporations. I had put in my hours. I had dedicated my life to, in this instance, the bank. I didn't feel like no pain, no gain was some sort of statement that would entice me to become their chief of staff. Or another one said, or another one that I discussed with a friend of mine said, it has to be written in blood, right? So like you have to sign with blood. Again, I understand the concept of sweat equity, but that just doesn't make sense to me. So from a change management perspective, I think there's a lot of issues with that type of toxic culture in a startup especially when you want to scale. Because when you want to scale, you cannot rely on that small initial startup team to portray the values, to talk to the new employees about the values, and to somehow make sure that the informal culture gets espoused and that it gets integrated by everybody. Quite the contrary. You have to have a, a very conscious approach to culture and I mean, as the famous saying goes by Peter Drucker, right? The management strategist, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Every time I think about it, I think about these, you know, plants that swallow flies. So again, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So when you're part of a startup team, you get a lot of pressure. You need to scale fast. You need to hire, right? Sometimes you need to go from 20 to, I don't know, 200, 300 employees within a year. How are you going to absorb that? Because only happy employees produce happy and good and sustainable results. Unhappy employees, I mean, we know the startup world, they're just going to quit or look for the next job. And um, especially if you're not able to give your employees a lot of equity, what are the benefits for them to stay? Especially if you want to 
entice and encourage high-performing employees to stay. So culture really matters. Culture does indeed matter. The question is to what extent startup leaders are aware of the fact that it matters. Let's flip the script for once and let's change perspective. And I'm somehow able to do that because I am the former founder of two different startups. One of them was a platform for women on personal finance and investing. The other one was a, was a brand like a slow fashion brand. The first startup, Finel, I created with a good friend of mine, Clara. And we created this platform for women because we were sure that not enough women have enough knowledge about personal finance and investing. And ultimately, that's gonna prevent them from having the money they need when they retire. Clara and I were very much focused on product development, on monetization strategy, and on just growing the community. So our community of customers, we never thought about culture. We never said, oh, do we have a honest and transparent culture? Do we have a failure culture? In other words, do we embrace our mistakes, learn from them, and then move on? If we work with third parties or if we were to work with a team, how would we treat them? We never consciously discussed it because we were so busy with all the other matters that take up so much of your time as a startup founder. To be honest, we never got to the stage where we had to raise venture capital. That's another story for another podcast. But what I'm trying to say is when you flip the script and you put yourself in the shoes of a startup founder, you quickly realize that there is no time to consider culture. So from that perspective, it's not a surprise if some you know founders adopt and adhere to some of the statements that they might have heard at other companies or setups that they served prior to creating their own company, their own venture. So again, you know, this no pain, no gain, or it has to be signed with blood. Um, all of these notions and statements and basically philosophies about culture, they are often not challenged because there is no conscious reflection on these statements and what that means for culture. I personally really love Edgar Schein. Uh, the late professor created his own culture model. And what I really like about that culture model is that it helps you understand the different layers of culture. Because like the debate about the conscious and the subconscious, the subconscious really drives you some uh, psychologists and scientists say 98 to 99% of your actions are determined by your subconscious beliefs, not by your conscious beliefs. I believe that is pretty much a good indicator for culture. A lot of the informal culture is not, not, not something that corporations or ventures reflect on. They just take it for granted. But if your informal culture espouses values such as no pain, no gain, or only high performers will make it, or it has to be signed in blood, then you have an issue the moment you scale. Because when you scale, that strong knitted community 
of those first five to 10 to 15 employees gets quickly expanded. So anything that's informal culture will get watered down or it will not be fully transported. If then it's a culture that's not very healthy, at least not from an outsider's point of view like mine, then you have to become conscious of culture. Becoming conscious of culture is a team effort and it's also an action that usually follows a deliberate intent. So as a founder, you have to sit down and say, oh, my employees told me there's something wrong with the culture or how come we have such high turnover role, uh, rates and what is it all about, you know, employees who are leaving us, telling us during their exit interviews that they're just not happy with the ambience. All of these different moments and all of this different input should really trigger you as a founder to consider whether there's something wrong with the current culture. And if then you also have to scale, you get all that pressure. If it's not your teammates or your former employees who somehow hand you that information, then it might be the people that actually give you the capital. Because depending on the venture capital firm that you work with, some of them are very hands-on and they will interfere the moment they see that scaling is jeopardized by an unhealthy culture. Or at least I hope so. If they don't, then please listen to this podcast and please listen to some of the arguments that are bring forward for why it's important to consider culture and whether the culture is solid enough, healthy enough to scale fast and to retain your employees because you cannot afford too much institutional memory loss because that again also comes with a price. So the moment employees leave because the culture is not healthy, if then you need to hire new employees, they need to get trained again, there's a lot of tacit know-how that was lost because people left. Now you have to train new people and they sometimes don't really understand how things work. So the ramp up time will be longer, which then again interferes with all of your other activities such as, you know, product pivots, making the customer happy, doing monthly or biweekly calls with your, uh, with the venture capitalists, etc. So it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. And you have to keep in mind that culture matters and that you have to dedicate a good chunk of your time to it when you scale, because otherwise you'll have all of these side benefits that will just slow down the pace of scaling and also will not make scaling very tenable. You might get the sense that I'm all over the place with this podcast, and I certainly hope I'm not. Because I know in the beginning, we talked about venture capital, then we talked about startups, then I brought in or introduced the notion of the startup leaders, so the founders, and then culture. And I only briefly talked about Edgar Schein, but you can look up his culture model. I'm happy to dedicate another podcast just to Edgar Schein because I love his culture model. Ultimately, what we also have to consider in this conversation is professional identity. I dedicated an executive master's thesis to the notion of professional identity. I engaged in all kinds of experiments. I even drew my professional identity, the formal one and the desired future one. 
if as a startup founder, your professional identity is very much too tied to these notions, uh, I have to perform, I'm not gonna listen to my emotions, when I'm tired, I just blow through, etc. then your professional identity might not leave a lot of space for activities such as reflection, awareness, being conscious. I mean, I'm not talking about meditating, but I'm saying that you might not very often, you know, stop to smell the flowers or to even take a deep breath. You might again not be very conscious of your professional identity. But as a leader in a startup, your professional identity will impact the startup culture. And in my mind, and maybe based on some of the interviews that I had in the past with startup founders, a lot of startup founders are very young and some of them just never had the opportunity to reflect on their pro 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 professional identity. Maybe they were never ex exposed to the concept of professional identity. And mapping out your professional identity, actually defining what it is, and then thinking a little bit about how your professional identity, your identity as a founder impacts and shapes the culture of your venture is worth it. I once worked for a private equity company. That's a long time ago. I actually worked as an executive assistant there. I just had to make money. I was a freelancer. I loved working for them. They were really nice people, brilliant, smart, entrepreneurial. It was so much fun working with them. And I did reflect on their corporate culture and some of the insights I had while working for this private equity company were that the management board's professional identities and values very much impacted the culture. So it was okay to, you know, have a little bit of a, of a, of a pension for bling bling, you know, driving sports cars like a Lamborghini or, you know, wearing certain expensive, uh, expensive, excuse me, luxury watches, things like that. And that then also impacted and translated into a couple culture that said, some are more equal than others. And we celebrate our success together. And we only say positive things. We'll never criticize the other person openly, things like that. So I did reflect on my experience at the private equity company recently and also about my experience applying Edgar Schein's culture model to this particular professional setting and how much that helped me become cognizant of leadership culture there and how that impacted the corporate culture or the organizational culture. That leads me back to this notion of startup culture, startup founders and scaling. And in my view, the moment you have to scale quickly, again, let's say from 20 to 200 to 300 employees is the very first moment you should take away or you should block two to three hours with your co-founders to run 
A or participate in a moderated culture workshop that at least will help you understand what the current culture is and what the future culture is. So that helps you understand what is the informal culture? What are some of the statements that are being made about the organization? I'm going to use another very cliche statement, kind of like work hard, party hard, right? I mean, those were informal statements that were so common back in my day uh, at management consulting firms. These days, I just laugh about these statements, but they were a thing back in the 2000s. And then also not to only consider informal culture that is heavily impregnated by these types of statements, but also to think about what are some of the myths, what are some of the heroes, what are some of the tales employees tell each other about the company and its leadership. That's also quite important. And then also how does that align with or even runs contradictory to the official vision and mission So many companies are very good at saying, you know, that they embrace inclusivity and have a diverse workforce, et cetera. And then it suffices or it's sufficient to just look at the leadership committees and say, okay, where are the women or, you know, where are the people that don't look like they have a Caucasian background? I mean, if I um, offended anybody by using this wording, then I apologize. As I speak, I'm really trying to make sure that you get the big picture and understand to what extent a healthy culture is required, is the foundation for solid scaling. And that most of the time, culture is unconscious the management team or the setup founders hardly ever take the time to consider it. And then when there are actually employee retention issues or too much conflict or a culture that just doesn't embrace failure. So in this case, doesn't embrace pivots. Then you have a big, big issue. That's why I always say, always recommend to review the current culture and to reflect on the aspired culture early on in the scaling journey so to prevent any hiccups and at least you know reduce the number of roadblocks that you encounter while you scale and again i mean peter drucker just said it so correctly and so concisely culture eats strategy for breakfast you can forget about strategy when you're not aware of culture and it is what it is So those were my thoughts about startups, scaling fast, the role of culture, and then also to a certain extent, how the professional identity of founders impacts all of this. I hope that was helpful. Please let me know what I forgot. I'm sure I forgot something. Also, maybe if you would have preferred that I talk about more about facts and figures and the costs associated with not getting culture right. We can also talk about different culture models in another episode. I just wanted to, you know, 
give you a little bit uh, or provide you with a little bit of an insight into scaling culture and startups. Thank you so much for listening to me. Again, it's the 3rd of January, 2024, so it's not too late for me to wish you a happy new year 2024. All the best and to the next episode.